Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. and hope that you are as enriched and enlightened and entertained by the people that we bring to share with you as we are to have them with us. I want to thank Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. You can find him at nativestorytellers.com and he and his wife have an amazing site there. Please check it out. It is a profound um, pleasure to, to learn history the way that the Native Americans or the first first families or whatever they are called these days, how they preserve their history and, and far more, I think, accurate than a lot of our textbooks are today. But that's another story for sure. Tonight we have a special guest as, as far as I'm concerned because um, he has brought forward some material that, that I have been fascinated with for a long time and I had the honor of reading his book and getting further entranced and educated uh, by the whole incident. It's one that I think probably a lot of you have heard about. Uh, <clears throat> I know that in the um, intro to the show I mentioned UFOs, um, and indeed we're going to be talking about them, but, but not in Little Green Men and, ancient, and Aliens. It's, we're going to be talking about unidentified flying objects. And, and there's a difference. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have as my guest tonight, I'm honored to have as my guest tonight, James W. Penniston, U.S. Army Reti Air Force, sorry, U.S. Air Force retired. He's the author of The Rendlesham Enigma. He and his team were the first responders to a security investigation of a craft of unknown origin located just outside R RAF Woodbridge, England, in December of 1980. The Rendlesham Forest incident of that year is considered by far the most significant event in UFO history. It was also a unique military-related re event, having taken place in Rendlesham Forest just outside the twin bases of RAF Brentwaters and RAF Woodbridge in Suffolk, England, 
both of which had been transferred to the United States Air Force in 1951 by the British Ministry of Defense, becoming one of the largest and most important NATO complexes in Europe during the Cold War. The account given in this book is that of James W. Penniston, a staff sergeant at the time of the incident, who was the primary witness who led the investigation in the beginning and had the <clears throat> excuse me and had top secret clearance. One of only eight people with top secret clearance working security at the twin bases. His credibility and honesty were highly respected throughout his years in the U.S. Air Force. He has teamed up with co-author Gary Osborne to present the definitive account of Rendlesham incident and the aftermath of events just as he witnessed and experienced them from the incident itself, which began in the early morning hours of Boxing Day, December 26, 1980, up to April 2014. The book is amazing. It gives um, a day-to-day -day explanation of what he went through. And because he was in the military, uh, his experience were far more intense than, than those of us who have seen a UFO and just been teased. Um, if you want to research this a little bit more, you can go to www.therendlshamforestincident.com. And if you want to see him up front and in person, he's going to be appearing at Starworks, at the Starworks USA Conference at Laughlin, Nevada, November 1st through 3rd. And once you've read this book, once you've looked at it, once you've been experienced the day, experiencing the day-to-day, -day, the hour-by-hour -hour experience, you will find that um, there is far more going on with this event, especially because it was a military um, base. And it, it's, it's fascinating to see what he went through, and over the years, the things that he has experienced, and and eventually the material that he wrote down and shared that that has, I think, an amazing foretelling of the future. So without further ado, Jim, thank you very much for being on Nightlight. I'm, I'm so honored that you are here tonight to share your story with us. Well, thank you so much for having me on. You know, uh, uh, Paula Harris got me so excited about doing this show. Uh, and I says, I will do it. I will do it. Uh, she <laughs> says, no, she does great shows. I says, and I'll tell you what, that is the best introduction I've ever had on a radio show. Thank you. Oh, well, I'll send you a clip. You can use it. You can just give it to other hosts, and they can just take it from there. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Well, you know, and your story is is heartwarming, and because you you probably didn't even think about UFOs and stuff at the time, I think that that your book relates how you you proceeded with the entire incident, and because you're military and trained, you, you know, most people see UFOs and you know over breakfast the next day or something will say, oh, I saw a UFO, but you documented it to the to the to an extreme, which I think is is phenomenal, and you you kept your documentation so that so that it's it's it just makes the whole incident so much more profoundly um, true. I, I think that that 
um, it, it was amazing when I was reading through it to realize, you know, just just how how much you had documented. And 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 actually, I have to, you know, certainly, um, I, I'm impressed by your memory because you know, it's almost 40 years now, and and um, the material is just amazing. Well, my memory's probably not that good. I think it's average. But, uh, you know, there's some things I did that were just different. I had the real-time notes uh, uh-huh. that I was taking. But I also uh, I had a sergeant one time tell me uh, uh, in the Air Force, you always got a CYA. I said, okay, how do I do that? He says, keep a daily journal while you're in the Air Force. I said, okay. Uh-huh. So I kept journals for 20-plus years. And so when I got ready to write the book, uh, the aftermath was a lot easier than it sounded because it was uh, documented. Well, it's just for those who have not seen a UFO, well, you didn't know it was a UFO. Let's let's go back I, to I've never that, seen that, a UFO. That's the thing. Yeah. I've never seen one. Well, let's, let's go, well, you, you experienced something there for sure. Um, so let's go back to that evening and, and sort of walk us through what occurred, and then we'll, we'll take it from there because I think the story, it, it becomes um, the foundation for an amazing story. So what happened that evening? Well, just to give you a little bit overlay about the bases, uh, the uh, RAF Bentwaters is the main operating base, and then that's where our command centers were and control centers and all that stuff. And then Woodbridge had a couple squadrons of A-10s on it that were separated by three uh, miles as a crow would fly. Uh, but it, it fell on the operational control of Bentwaters. I know that sounds trivial, but together uh, there with dependents, Air Force dependents, and active duty, we had over 10,000 people at those twin bases. Uh, and it was on the... Uh, uh, Northeast of London, about 60 miles, sitting on the coast of Suffolk. It was, uh, they had a wartime mission. We had a, a time with terrorism going on, different type of terrorism. I mean, it was like the Badr-Meinhof, uh, the Black September, the IRA, all, 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 all those kind of groups. Uh, yeah. So there was a lot, a, lot of, a lot of stuff. And it was the height of the Cold War. But uh, the, that night uh, started uh, uh, fairly uh, routine. Uh, like most nights, uh, we were working 12-hour shifts. Security was because it was, uh, you know, the Christmas uh, uh, season. And law enforcement, which is separate, they were working an eight-hour shift. And uh, uh, so I had done. I started my shift uh, uh, on the 25th, uh, and you know, I was doing regular things like lighting checks and stuff like that. I was the supervisor for uh, Woodbridge Base. For security, and so I met. Uh, I, I talked to the security response team leader, Sergeant McCulley. I said, "He says, hey, let's, let's meet for breakfast. You know, we're going to have a breakfast around midnight." And um, I said, "Okay." So I get to the chow hall, and I'm getting ready to sit down for breakfast. And uh, uh, McCulley says to me, "He says, uh, do you hear the radio call for you?" And I said, "No." And he says, "They want you to call." And we had a direct line from the from the, the chow hall there to the Central Security Control. And I remember I called him, and it was Sergeant Coffee, and I said, uh, 
what's going on? He says, I need you to respond to the East Gate. Uh, he says, we have a situation out there. I said, okay, what is it? He says, the law enforcement patrolman will brief you when you get there. He says, but run code two. And code two is with lights on. I said, uh, okay, which is really odd because anytime we're going to do emergency response, I usually know what's going on before I get there. Uh, anyway, it takes about, uh, this is about 12.03 at night, 12.04. I'm going to give you everything in civilian time, okay? And um, so I respond. I get there around 12.04, 12.05, something like that. I contact Sergeant uh, um, Stephens, he's a, a senior uh, law enforcement guy, and I said, "What's going on, Bud?" That's his first name, Bud. And he he points over the Reynoldsville Forest area adjacent to East Gate, and um, I could see a can, you know, over the canopy of the forest, I could see like a a bubble of white light, and uh, and then I could see multiple color lights in the forest, and I'm trying to figure out what what it is. Uh, he says. Uh, Hmm, it sort of it sort of looked like an aircraft crash, and I, at that point in time, I'd probably been to I don't know twenty, twenty two, twenty three. I don't know how many a lot of them, and yeah. uh, but it was exactly right. And I said, "Well, but I said, did you, did you hear it uh, crash or did you see it crash?" She said, "It didn't crash. She said it landed." And I said, "I'm thinking to myself, that's impossible." Um, the trees were only like four, they're like five or six feet apart. They were, they really, you couldn't land in them. And so we debated it. In fact, I was trying to convince them that, that something crashed rather than land. And so I go over to the uh, direct line at the East Gate and I contact Central Security Control, my control center. Uh, and, and when we do this, there's like five people online immediately. And uh, they're all got their little things they got to do. And uh, so I'm talking to the shift commander mainly, uh, Lieutenant Brand and Sergeant Chandler, the flight sergeant. And um, so I was telling my observations. And uh, then Sergeant Coffey comes back around, and he had already checked with uh, London radar, uh, Eastern radar, and Bentwater's radar. And apparently about 15 minutes before that, they lost contact with a bogey, a unidentified uh, radar blip uh, about 15 minutes prior over Woodbridge Base. So that confirmed an emergency situation of a possible aircraft downing. And at the time, we had status of forces agreement, these agreements that we have between the British uh, government and the United States on what we can do off base. And uh, <clears throat> you have one is we have to have an emergency uh, situation before we can deploy. Uh, because it is a sovereign country in that. And uh, one of the other uh, caveats they have is that unless it's a hostile situation, uh, we don't deploy off base with, with our weapons, you know, our machine guns and stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I got everything together. I assembled the team. Um, we have a crash kit that's inside the, my vehicle I had already. Um, we did have a lot of aircraft crashes. <laughs> to have the, yeah, I mean, stuff just happened like that. There's a lot of a lot of flying. Um, anyway, uh, I, out of that, I get uh, stuff I, I'm going to need. I need to set up an inter-control point, you know, down there for first responders and things like that. 
And um, so I got the plotting board. Uh, I pulled, oh, I think the binoculars out. Uh, also, we had a camera in there. And the camera wasn't, uh, it was, could be used for, you know, aircraft crashes, you know, to take pictures of it uh, initially, or even terrorism. If we were seeing something off base, we could take pictures of, you know, something suspicious off base. So I grabbed that stuff, and we drove out there as far as we could go. This area, Rendlesham, is now, then and now, owned by the Forestry Commission. And what they do in England is that they use trees as a crop. Like every 10 years, they'll cut them down. I have no idea what they do with the wood. Uh, but they'll, they just plant in and replant them. And so we're driving across uh, maybe a two, 100 meters, 100 feet, or excuse me, 100 uh, yards of uh, open field, but it's it's uh, it's hilly because there's berms of earth where these trees were once planted. They have been cut. And so I went as far as I could, and that's where we're going to go ahead and set up the entry control point. So I leave Erwin Kabanzak there, and at that point, I was having problems uh, with communications on our radios, uh, which is impossible because we have a repeating system all over all over the Twin Bases. There's no way you can have a, a radio problem, but we did. And so I told Kabanzak that I wanted him to work as a relay with Sergeant Chandler, who was en route to the East Gate to take over for my spot, and uh, that way they were going to maintain communications. And so myself and the other patrolman, another law enforcement patrolman, um, we started on foot toward the tree line. And what I was observing at that point was uh, uh, not not so much colored lights in the in the forest, but more of a white bluish type light. And you could still see over the canopy of the forest. You could still see um, uh, the area that was lit up over it. Now, this forest is extremely thick. I mean, you cannot be out there without flashlights and nothing. It's just total darkness. And uh, as we approach the uh, tree line, uh, uh, you know, I had started taking all the pictures I could because it was odd. Uh, I had implemented a security pl- uh, the security response option that I was doing, our protocol, uh, was for a downed aircraft. So I'm running this checklist through my head. and um, But as I got closer to the tree line, uh, it was becoming obvious this, this is not an aircraft crash. It didn't have the indicators of, of, of a crash. It didn't, first of all, it didn't have any noise. I didn't hear no, uh, uh, like, fire, burning stuff. I didn't uh, smell anything like... Uh, like fuel that was being burnt or stuff like that. Uh, so we get to the forest edge, and um, uh, we start feeling, you know, um, uh, physical effects, like uh, uh, static electricity on my skin, my, you know, my hair, my clothing. Uh-huh. And um, so I got Caban's like about fifty. The 75 feet behind me, I got the other airman uh, uh, probably uh, 20, 25 feet to my back right. And so as I enter the forest, there's a big 
explosion of white light. I mean, uh, it was, I thought it was an explosion. And so I hit the ground and then, uh, there was no sound with it. So it wasn't an explosion. And I sort of gained my, uh, wits about me then. And I said, uh, okay, that's good. Okay. I'm still alive. Nothing happened that was going to kill me. And, um, as I got up, the, the, that white light was starting to dissipate. And it was behind the berm a little bit, the berm of uh, earth. And, uh, so as I started walking closer to it, uh, I felt more physical effects. One is I couldn't hear my feet uh, walking on the forest floor, like the breaking of branches, you know, and debris. Uh, I couldn't hear uh, no, n- none of the forest noise, like wind going through the trees or anything like that. It was complete silence, and uh, which was odd. And uh, then I felt my movements being more labored. Uh, And I describe it, the best way I can describe it is like if you're walking through a pool of water that was waist high, uh, Mm -hmm. that would be the feeling that you'd have walking. So I terminate at that point in time uh, the uh, security response option for a downed aircraft, and I implemented a security response option called a helping hand. And what that is is a uh, 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 telephonic uh, up-channel report by radio, which I did call in the radio, um, of a possible hostile threat to the uh, resources on the base, uh, at least until I can determine otherwise. Uh, and the other thing at that point in time, when I implemented that, neither one of us were armed. <laughs> we originally, <laughs> went, yeah, I mean, so pretty much we're just going to be, we're going to be able, you know, sound the alarm, and that's about it, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So as I started moving toward the top of the berm, the lights dissipating all the way down. My, I'm starting to be able to walk a little bit better. It's not, it's not as labored. Uh, and, of course, I've shot all the film. I have no more film left in my camera. Um, and so I am I come up over the berm, and that light is dissipating to the point where a craft starts appearing that is black and triangular in shape. Uh, totally freaked out, I am. <laughs> I, I had so many emotions going through my head, I don't know if uh, uh, I can really explain that. I try in the book. And, but uh, well, you, but your your training took over, which I think is fabulous. The training is the only thing that kept me grounded. Okay, um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I was pretty. I was. It was a. I, it was a very uh, scary at times, uh, and then it was. Uh, uh, then 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 seconds later, I'm in awe. You know, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Um, Anyway, as as this light dissipates, it just leaves this black triangular craft that has multiple colored globular lighting running through it. And there's white light coming out from underneath the craft. And like I said, the forest is completely dark, and you need flashlights or whatever, you know, to see out there. But I didn't need anything. Uh, I, could, I could see the craft perfectly, uh, perfectly anyway. 
Uh, had, they had enough. Well, that's one of the things I did do. I uh, uh, when it when it when it seemed inert. I mean, uh, when the the globular light stopped moving through it, I felt more at ease, and uh, I still wasn't sure if I was going to survive this incident because. At that point in time, I'm inside what I call a sphere of influence. It's about the 15 feet that's running around this, this craft. And it's uh-huh. like a bubble. Uh, that's how I'll call it a bubble. And, and I can see on the outside of this bubble, I can see the other patrolman just standing there immobilized. And I still don't have any sound going on. And so I'm still alive. So... I said, well, I better start recording as much information as I can uh, so the command people can have information. If I don't survive this, at least they have my notes, uh, and they'll be able to make some decisions, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't have, like, you know, tape measures or anything like that, so I had to use, like, my I, my stride. I, I paced it off, and it it came out. It was like the craft was nine feet. Uh, long on each side uh, of the triangle. Um, it uh, was, uh, oh, I'm six foot two, so it was about six and a half, seven feet tall. It was a little hard to tell with the, because it was sitting inside the, uh, between two berms in the mm-hmm. clearing there. And uh, so, I'm starting. I'm going to do. I'm going to do a 360. I'm going to go ahead and examine the craft. I'm going to write down as much as I can. So I get the measurements. Uh, it had a, also a like a dorsal uh, that was going uh, above the craft. I mean, from extended out, upwards, like toward the rear. I guess the rear. Uh, and uh, anyway, that was about seven and a half feet up. And so I started uh, looking for all the things that would identify this as an aircraft. Um, things like uh, flaps, um, uh, aerons, uh, uh, a crew compartment, intakes, exhaust, I mean, all those things. It had none. It had none of those things. It was void of it. And so the, with the light underneath the craft, I looked underneath it. I was wondering how it was fixed above, you know, the, the ground there. And mm-hmm. uh, it was about waist high. And uh, so I'm looking, all I can see this light going down, but then I see indentions in the ground. Um, so it was a technology I clearly did not understand. Yeah. Uh, when I'm using the term light, that's my term. Uh, it definitely wasn't light. Like It had to be a technology I did not understand. It, it supported the craft. And so I even tried to move it. You know, like even if you had a car out there and you pushed on it, the, the, the car would move an inch or a half inch or something like that. This mm-hmm. was completely solid, did not move. So I start doing a 360 walk around of it and, um, you know, to, to further inspect, you know, inspect it and write down what I can. And at this point in time, the, the craft is completely inert. I mean, there's no activity going on except for the light underneath it. And I do the first walk around and I, start seeing that there's writing on it, which actually was a relieving moment for me because Mm -hmm. I figured, okay, it's going to say, I don't know, NASA, it's going to say U.S. Air Force, it's going to have a, it's Russian something, Soviet, anything. Uh, Because, uh, and if it was, it was really high tech. 
But as I get closer to it, and I'm running my hands uh, across this, the, the craft, it's completely smooth. It's a metal of some kind, but it's completely smooth and doesn't have riveting or nothing like that. And it has, <coughs> uh, instead of writing, it was more like uh, petroglyphs on the side of it uh, that were etched inside of the craft. And they measured about, oh, three, four feet uh, wide, and then it had a larger one on top with a triangle and a circle. And as I ran my hands across from the smoothness of the craft to the uh, these glyphs, uh, I could it, the 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 best way to describe it would be like going from smooth glass feeling to like sandpaper. That's when I got to the glyphs. And which was odd. Everything was odd. Everything was odd. I had thousands of things that was odd out of it. I mean, um, so I continue walking back around. And so I wrote in my notebook, I, I copied down the glyphs and all that stuff. One second, I'm going to grab a little bit of water here. Sure. So I start my, my second 360 around. So right now, nothing happened uh, outside that would be dangerous to me. I mean, it was pretty much, uh, I thought it was pretty benign. Uh, as I, and I thought I had a lot of time because no, there's no activity going on. Mm -hmm. um, and in the meantime, while I'm doing this, even though I wasn't receiving central security control on my radio, I still transmitted, and, you know, with the... Um, hopes that either Sergeant Chandler at the East Gate or Kabanzak or Central Security Control would hear me. Who was the other and airman I'm, that was there? Uh, that's Airman Burroughs. Um, okay. Uh, law enforcement. Not, he wasn't security. He was law enforcement. Uh, Kabanzak okay. was security. There's a big difference in the uh, career fields, okay? Uh, oh, yeah. The law, law enforcement like gate guards and they go to domestic stuff like police would. And we mm -hmm. did uh, security did protection of Part A, B, and C re resources. The operations of the base protected those resources and the base itself. And so there's, it's a completely different construct altogether. Uh, I think today in the Air Force, I think they combined the career fields now into, they call it the uh, security forces now. Mm -hmm. uh, but back then it was... Uh, uh, Security police and then of course law enforcement. Um, where are we at? Uh, you're going around and you have lots of time. Mm -hmm. You've got the glyph. Yeah, so you know I, I'm doing my my security checks and saying you know I'm okay, and um, then as I do the the other uh, walk around, I get back around and it's those glyphs. Uh, I I tried to figure it out. I tell you, maybe the closest thing I thought at that time, maybe it was like Egyptian or something like that, or but it wasn't really. You know, it was I, I couldn't uh, decipher what it was, and so I'm running my hands back across it, and then that large triangle which was above the other ones. You know, I says, well, I said that is uh, that is that is really interesting. So I put my hand on that. And immediately when I touched it, there's a brilliant white light. I mean, I cannot see nothing else but this white light. 
and uh, no sound or nothing like that. But then I'm seeing nothing but flashes of ones and zeros. Really crazy stuff. Uh, and and I don't know how long I have a hand on it, but I gained my senses again, and I just lifted my hand off, and it was completely gone, the light. And I'm using the term light again, and it's not light. It's a technology I don't understand because, mm-hmm. and I know this for a fact, because uh, uh, in that type of situation at night, uh, if you had that kind of bright light night, I mean, it was brighter than like flash bulbs. I mean, it was really bright. My night vision would have been just, uh, my night vision would have took 40 minutes, 45 minutes to regain it. And I had no problem with my night vision. I could see everything with no problem. Uh-huh. And uh, so that, I made that decision at the time. The last thing I was going to do is touch that craft again. I didn't touch it after that. Uh, because of what happened, uh, and and as I finished, yeah, and as I finished walking around, then I see all of a sudden that the colored lights start moving around, uh, showing up again in in the skin of the craft, the exterior of it, and then the bottom light starts getting wetter. So I get I back away about ten fifteen feet, and I get down on the ground and I eat dirt. I mean, I'm trying to dig a hole, pretty much because I thought I I did. I thought I activated something uh, on the craft. Maybe it was going to explode or, or something like that. And, uh, I mean, these are all the things that are running through my head. Sure. And and so then when it started to generate um, this white light, the coloring, I couldn't see it. It was starting to get like when I first seen it. It was starting to become a just a huge ball of white, bluish-type light. Um and but I could still see the remnants of the craft in it, but there was no explosion on. But it got up and it moved uh, away from me about ten or fifteen feet. Now remember, I said those forest trees are planted, you know, five or six feet apart. I paced yeah. it off. I know, I know it's nine feet wide. I know it can't get through there, and uh, it moved back through the trees, maybe about twenty feet. Then. It, rose up to the uh, uh, tree top level above the trees of the canopy of the forest. And uh, when it's doing all this, there's no air displacement, there's no sound, uh, stuff the aircraft would need to do. And when it got to the canopy, it just made a slight turn, and it was gone in a blink of an eye. Uh at that point in time, all of a sudden, I can hear. <laughs> I can hear. <laughs> yeah, I hear, I hear the law enforcement airman, Burroughs. Uh, yeah. He runs up next to me, and he, I can hear, you know, and he's, he's trying to re-acquire uh, the, the craft because he's pointing. He says, oh, there it is, and he takes off. <laughs> we <laughs> we got a two-man we got a two-man concept. We have a two, our team concept. You never leave the other guy, okay? Yeah. Never. That's just the rule. At least security would never leave the other guy. And so he took off. So to maintain the concept of the two-man uh, integrity, I take off after him, and he's moving pretty fast. We jump over two fences. Uh, he's, uh, at that time, uh 
It was a one was a uh, uh, a barbed wire one, and the other one was more of a uh, chicken wire type. And uh, then we're in a farmer's field, and I'm I'm still chasing them, and uh, <laughs> it's uh, I must have fell down I don't know two or three times and in the farmer's field. It must have been like the, the there was water, you know, and there's, it was pretty cold out, but it was like uh, you know water with a little bit of ice on it type thing. And so I was pretty soaked then after falling down, trying to keep up with them. And we finally get to a uh, past these farmhouses in, in, and to the next field. He stops. And uh, thank God. Uh, yeah. I was young. I was 26, but, you know, uh, it was it was a hike. I was pretty exhausted. And um, he stops. I says, what are you chasing? And he says, I'm chasing that UFO. And I said, what UFO? And he points over in the opposite direction toward the for the coastline. He says, that there. And so I had to look down his arm at it. You know, he's pointing. And he's, I said, what is it? And there's a little, there's a little light on the, on the, uh, on the uh, horizon. He says, that there. I said, that's not, that's not what we've seen. <laughs> I said, that's the lighthouse. Because we had went far enough there that the lighthouse had a uh, uh, some type of blocking device on it, so it wouldn't shine uh, into the interior of the land. Uh-huh. It would only, yeah, so it would only shine out. But we had got far enough where it was visible at that point. And so while he's trying to make the lighthouse into a UFO, I reacquire it over Cable Green the forest over Cable Green ahead of us, I see it again. It's just hovering there over the canopy. And before I can even say, let's, let's pursue this, you know, a little bit farther, the, the craft just turns and it takes off over the, uh, uh, toward the coast uh, and then out of sight. Uh, at that point in time, I, I could hear um, radio traffic uh, from the control center, uh, they're trying to been trying to get hold of us. Uh, I, I acknowledged, and they says, "Come on back into the east gate." I said, "We will." So we went back in, you know, and met up with the other security forces at the east gate. That wow. is the incident. I know. Now, <laughs> now, how long did you think you had spent doing it, and how long did you actually spend doing it? Because there seems to be a time displacement here somehow. Yeah, I didn't realize till I got back. You know, I'm doing all my notes, you know, for the 1569, the incident complaint report. That's a long version of the blotter entries. And yeah. So I get back to CSC, and Sergeant Coffee, bless him, he heard everything on the radio because he did the uh, the incident complaint, complaint report. He says, just read it. He says, you don't have to do one. And so I read it, and, yeah, I said, okay, it, this is right. So... Uh, I didn't have to do that report, but then with the clocks in CSC, they got had several of them. Uh, and my watch on my, that I had my uh, arm did not match. I had an electronic at the time, and it was pretty uh, high tech, you know, the electronic ones, you know, battery operated. Yeah. That was like new, and uh, it was off by 45 minutes, it, and it made sense to me that time that the, the, the watch would stop because there was that electrical 
uh, static I was feeling. And I said, maybe that, you know, interfered. So I really don't know how long I was there. According to CSC, uh, it matched. That was that. This was uh, maybe 45 minutes or an hour out there, but it sure didn't seem that long. It only seemed like five minutes. Okay, yeah. it did. And so, well, then, um, yes. So, so then the next day, because you're, you know, you're military. There was a debriefing. Well, next day, uh, you know, we get off work. Uh, I'm, I'm giving a ride to the uh, law enforcement in uh, Burroughs to Ipswich. He lives down there too, not far from me, per his flight chief's request, uh, so he could get to work on time and stuff like that. And um, he says, "I said, we, he says, let's go back out there." So I don't want to go back out there. This is right at the, the morning after. And uh, uh-huh. he, he was persistent, so I said, okay, okay, we'll do that. And so I said, I got a couple things to do. So I had to go by the photo lab, had to drop the film off, uh, which I did. And then we went out there, and we're looking around. He hollers at me, he says, look over here. He says, come over here. And uh, that's the area I know, you know, where the landing was. And on the ground, there's these three impressions on the ground. I said, yeah, so see this? And he seemed like surprised that it was there, and which I thought was odd. And um, anyway, uh, I go on home, uh, and uh, I uh, shorten the story up a little bit. Is I go on home and I, <laughs> uh, I am pretty. Uh, I don't know if the Air Force was gonna. I needed some kind of proof. For me, mm-hmm. after what happened, and so my 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 landlord was like an interior decorator and stuff. So he had something. He said, "I got something that you use to 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 take impressions of that." And I said, "What is it?" And he goes, "Plaster Paris." And he got it all mixed up for me, and I put it in a backpack, and I went back out there, and I went out to the area, and I poured the stuff, and. And I waited for it to dry, and I, at the time I smoked cigarettes, so I was, there was about three cigarettes I think I had, and uh, waited for it to dry. It dried pretty quickly, uh, and I put stuff back in in my backpack, and I'm going back in, and I run into, uh, you know, the uh, uh, assistant uh, squadron commander and another the day flight chief, and like, a, and, you know, first thing a major jury says to me is, "What are you doing out here?" Oh, I just, uh, you know, I thought I was in trouble. I thought, you know, I, you know, you're not supposed to go out there and take plaster affairs. <laughs> so I said, I just wanted to see the area again. He said, I, he said, I want you to go home. He said, I want you to take a, you know, enjoy your three-day break. He said, don't worry about it. We got this. I said, okay. Uh, and then, you know, I get back home, and, I, of course, that day I would normally sleep after a midnight shift, but I couldn't sleep that day. And uh, you know, I was trying to do that. I finally get uh, maybe that that night. Um, this is the 26th, the night of the 26th. I finally get uh, uh, to bed, and I still can't sleep. So it's maybe one in the morning on the 27th, I guess. I so I figured I'm going to be up all night. It was just a lot of trauma, and um, yeah. yeah, I was okay. You know, I said, well, eventually I'm going to have to sleep. You know. 
Uh, so I figured, okay, I'll get up and uh, I'll make a pot of coffee. I'm not going to sleep, sleep anyway. So I'm sitting at my dining room table down in the Ipswich and I'm drinking a cup of coffee. And then I'm running all this stuff through my head about what happened with, uh, you know, the incident and that. And then I still see these ones and zeros flashing. I said, my God, this trauma, I I don't know. I, it, it's got to stop or I'm going to have to go to the base hospital. And I know that's not going to end well because I'm no. going to tell them, well, yeah, I'm going to tell them what happened. Uh, you know, I was out in the forest and there's a crash unknown origin. And oh my God. And I got ones and zeros in my head. And oh Lord. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. Well, you're going to lose your weapons card. You're going to lose your oh, security yeah. clearance. And we're going to go ahead and discharge you. Okay. We'll start that. That's probably what would happen. And uh, so, I'm looking through the notebook, and I'm looking at all my notes, and I I decided to flip back through all the way back. In the back, I have all kinds of paper, and I says, you know what? I think I can write those ones and zeros down. So I uh, start, you know, writing the ones and zeros down, and it was uh, as I did that, I felt better. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, anytime I can feel better at this point in time is great. So I just kept writing down. I finished the first page, I think, and you know how it is—you got pens in a drawer, you know, and all of a sudden they freeze up because they don't work. Yeah. You know how that works. And so I'm like panicking, going through the drawer trying to find a pen that works, find another pen that works, and I continue writing these down. And I wrote—I wrote down uh, 16 pages in this notebook, and um, I got to the point where I couldn't see the ones and zeros no more. And I felt great. So I stopped. And I said, okay, Jim, this here is a a complete meltdown, you know what I mean, uh, with this mm-hmm. trauma. You, there's no way you can report anything about this. Uh, it's a bad, bad situation for you. And mm-hmm. since you feel good, that means you dodged the bullet. You'll probably be okay. So, And I was tired. Even with a pot of coffee, I was still tired. And uh, so I went to bed finally, and I slept for, I don't know, 10 hours, 15 hours, a long time. And, uh, of course, when I woke up, I felt great. And so, mm-hmm. yes, as I, so I said, well, I'll keep the incident, the, the part with these craziness, this mental breakdown <laughs> to myself. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean... I didn't. I didn't share it with nobody. I didn't even share it with my with my uh, at the time my wife. And you know, uh, well, first of all, I wasn't going to share anything with her because when we came home, uh, Burroughs was with me, and Burroughs boarded out that you know we're, because we looked so bad. He said we were chasing UFOs, and they started laughing. And I told him, I said, don't ever ask another question about it, okay? I says because that's when the ridicule actually started. But here's the mm-hmm. opportunity, Mike. My wife and Sergeant Kennedy, who was a roommate, we had we rented a room out. Uh, they uh, that was a good opportunity to talk to me about it because uh, everything was unclassified then, mm-hmm. and I could have told I could have told them anything, uh, anything about it. it didn't, but they sort of blew that, and um, uh, an ex-wife now, by the way, and okay. uh, yeah, and. Um, so that was the, uh, I thought, okay, it's over, it's behind me. No, it's not. 
So I get a call from Sergeant Hudson. He worked in the orderly room. This is Sunday, so I know he's not in the orderly room, but he, I get a call from him. He says, uh, yeah, you got to report into the OSI building uh, tomorrow morning. And I says, well, the squadron commander wants to see me? He goes, no, he doesn't want to see you. I said, okay. He says, so he gave me the appointment time. And um, so um, the next morning I told Burroughs that we had to go in early. And um, by, and I and I knew that, uh, uh, oh, then we were also told that we had to go up and brief the command element, uh, the base commander, wing commander, you know, about what happened, which that was afterwards. Uh, mm-hmm. So OSI first, then I had, we had to go up to uh, the uh, base commander's office. So I get an OSI, and it actually went pretty good. The uh, I knew the agents, there's like nine of them that were assigned there, but the people that interviewed me were not from the uh, OSI, uh, but they were in an official capacity of some sort. They wore suits and stuff. Uh, one was British and the other was American. And uh, they said pretty much this, uh, you write everything down and this goes away. You tell us everything. This goes away then. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. exactly what I wanted to happen. I said, okay. So I sit down and I, you know, the legal pads, I, you know, I'm a terrible writer, so I have to print everything to make it legible. Um, so I printed out, it was four pages of the, on this legal pad. And I get, I get all finished. They said, okay, we're going to type it up. Uh, they gave me a soda and they said, it won't take long. I said, okay. Uh, and I'm looking at my watch cause I know we got to get up to the base commander's office. And, um, anyway, they come back in about 15 minutes. And uh, mind you, I had four pages that I, I wrote up. And they bring back a, a, one piece of bond paper uh, with a quarter of it, single type, the single line spacing used up. And they says, uh, here, here's your statement. I'm thinking this thing looks a little bit lean, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, they says, what we want you to do is we want you to read it and we want you to memorize this. I said, why? So that's what we want you to do. And I said, okay. So I'm, I go through it. I read it like three or four times, and it's very generic. It says, uh, got one, in, and it was, and you can tell someone British wrote it because it was in meters. Uh, the cut, co- like color, uh, the word color was spelt British way, not the American way. And mm-hmm. you know, so I, I memorized that. They said, okay, this is what happens. This goes away. It's now official. Uh, Investigation by us, whoever us is, I suspect NSA, uh, because uh, OSI uh, at that point in time uh, overseas worked for the State Department. Okay, uh, uh-huh. that's how that's how their structure said they didn't work for anybody on the base, and uh, so that made sense about the other agents there. And this is what you want you to do is uh, if anybody asks about this, uh, this is what you tell them from this point on, because it's an active investigation. I says, well, I said, I'm, I got an appointment to see the base commander, wing commander. And he says, no, this is what you tell him. I said, okay, you got it. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what it is. I meet up with the other airmen uh, at the uh, over on base, and we go to the base commander's office, and uh, that's exactly what I tell him. Uh, uh, of course, now, Burroughs wasn't in there with me, 
and he's talking about we were right there. It was a triangular craft, and you know, so I said I'll finish the report. I told him to, uh-huh. you know, I, t- I shut them up. And uh, anyway, they separated us at two ends of the table. So write write your own stuff. And I said, well, I guess I ain't responsible for him what he writes. And he he drew the craft and you know, triangular craft and all that stuff. And uh, we we gave our reports in. Then I went in and reported to the base uh, wing commander and told him about it. And was which was really odd. Uh, he was yeah. very uh, uh, the uh, well the base commander was in there too, and also Colonel Halt, the deputy base commander. And when I reported for us uh, in there to uh, uh, Colonel Williams, um, he never asked one question. He just listened attentively. Let me say what I was supposed to tell him from what I was coached on from OSI. And Uh he just says, okay, gentlemen. He says, gentlemen, he says, thank you very much. He says, I appreciate it. He says, "Uh, we'll go ahead and take it from here. Wow. Yeah, I know. So we get out of there, and I'm like, wow, not one question? Like, anything? What what (laughs) is this? Yeah. And at that so point, it was classified. Uh, yeah, we're told in the, in the Colonel Halt's office to treat this as top secret. Now you're wondering okay. how I can talk about it. How can I talk about this now if it was top because secret? Because it was declassified. I mean, <laughs> and you're retired. Um, well, the thing is, when Colonel Halt retired, he retired two years before I did. Uh, uh-huh. In 91, I believe it was. And I retired in 93. So it's top secret all the way up through that. But when he retired, he he actually got a hold of me. He says, hey, when you retire, he says, make sure you ask about this incident and see if it's, you know, on our, our NDA, the non-disclosure uh, for classified. You know, uh-huh. and, you know, they have all of the other stuff on, like nuclear weapons and contingency plans and all this other stuff. But and I, when I got to retire, go from my retirement uh, at Grissom Air Force Base, uh, the personnel guy, you know, gives me my NDA to read. Now I'm going through it, you know, classified plans, this, that, that, that. He says, oh, there's nothing on here about Bentwaters or Woodbridge. He goes, okay. I says, is that classified? And he says, well, we'll find out. So we type, he typed up a message, and they sent it off to the Pentagon, uh, headquarters Air Force. And he said, we'll get back with you. He said, I'll let you know, and we can finish the out process. And I said, great. So a couple of days later, uh, he calls me up, so ready to do the out process, and I got the message back. I said, great. So I go back up to personnel at Grissom, and uh, he says, I got a really strange response from headquarters Air Force. I said, you did? He goes, yes. He says, nothing classified happens on those dates at the locations you were talking about. So therefore nothing's classified. Well that's that's cool. Now now I'm gonna you know, I said to... I said, can I have a copy of that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was it. So I can talk about it. Okay, so I'm gonna stop you here because um your book goes into further detail. This event did cover three days. There were other incidents but nothing quite like what you went through. And um, your book does cover it all. But but yes. I want to focus 
I, oh, the book is amazing. It goes in, into such detail. Oh, you live do it. Do you like Sergeant Neville's? Sergeant Neville's, uh, Monroe Neville's, uh, Disaster Preparedness, he goes into the uh, third night about it. And, uh, and, and I was just fascinated reading uh, his uh, chapter. Oh, yeah. Everybody's got to get this book. But, but the thing is, you've got about 10 hours you could talk on this, and I want to cover your part of it. Because yeah, there, after... there's no spoilers here. There's no spoilers of what I'm saying, believe me, in the book. I mean, I'm not going to oh. spoil the book. Uh, no, no, no. 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 But, but so what happened is that, that you know, you kind of, you know, kind of brushed it under the table when anybody asked you. You said, nah, nothing happened. And, and so, but, but clearly something had happened to you because you had, um, gosh, terrible nightmares. And yeah, um, it was, it wasn't so bad when I was in the military. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but after I, I got out, I retired in, um, I guess November 93. And, um, it was like it, I started then, and it started slowly progressing where I was having problems sleeping and stuff like that. And um, it was it went maybe about eight nine months after I was out. I mean, I was to the point where I was only getting maybe an hour or two maybe sleep a night, I and mean, you can only maintain so long with that amount of sleep. I mean, you start you know, it's just crazy. And um, it was affecting you know, my work. I couldn't work. I couldn't keep uh, focused on anything. And so um, I went to my, my medical doctor, and uh, I said, here's my problem. I can't sleep. And all of And she says, well, I don't know. She says, it's just here. To... She ran all kinds of physical stuff, and, and there was no problems. And she says, well, I'd like to do a referral, but I don't know how you're going to take this. And I said, well, what's a referral? You know, because right now I can take I can take anything as long as it makes me sleep. You know, yeah. And um, she says, "Well, to a, if I do a referral to a, psycholo- a psychiatrist, I said that's fine. I said you got it. Put give me put me in contact with her." And he says, "Well, I think it's it's emotional." And I was like, "Yeah, all right." I mean, uh, I really didn't think so. And um, of course, uh, I get the appointment set up with the uh, uh, psychiatrist, and uh, you know. Uh, we do a, I don't know, two or three maybe meetings uh, like that. Yeah, there, you know, actually it was all right. It was nice to talk to somebody like that. And yeah. um, then she says, I think there's 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 a traumatic event, you know, maybe from your childhood or something that might have caused this. You know, I was thinking, I mean, like uh, – uh, somebody messed with you when I was a little kid, and she, well, that's a possibility. I went, oh my God, I don't remember anything like that. And uh-huh. <laughs> I had a great, I had a great childhood, you know. And she says, no, I just want, I want to do that. And she says, um, we'll set up a time, you know, to uh, do this uh, hypnosis. I go, okay, and uh, I'm okay with it. She says uh, she's going to record it and uh, video record it, but that's her notes at the time. Uh, uh-huh. That's the ass bonding, whatever. That's fine. And she says, "You won't remember anything. Uh, everything will be fine. I can make it uh, be no stress for you." And I said, "Great." So we do a session, which is two hours long, about. And when I come out of this this trance or whatever they put you in, uh, I mean, I feel great. Okay, it, it felt like I had, you know, I was very relaxed. 
And uh-huh. the doctor, the doctor's in front of me and her jaw's on the table. And I said, what's the matter? And she goes, we're going to have to do another session. I says, why? <laughs> she says, uh, we need to talk more about Woodbridge. I went, oh, my God, are you kidding me? She says, no, that's where the issue's at. And I went, oh, my God. You know, so I did the other session with her, and, uh, of course, I tell her during that. I mean, everything's yeah. there. That, and uh, she gets all done, and she says, uh, I'm going to prescribe you certain kind of medicine, you know, that will uh, be a, like a, I don't know, it's an alpha blocker or a beta blocker or something like that to help you uh, where you can sleep and maybe not dream. It might help. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to get, the, get it adjusted. And uh, so uh, we started doing that. And she, she says, do you want these tapes to watch? She says, they're my notes. I've got them. You know, I've recorded everything now. I says, yeah. I said, okay. I says, let me have them. And that would never happen today. I think everybody would be afraid to get sued or something, right? Oh, yeah, uh, I don't think yeah, I don't think they give them your notes. And anyway, she gave them to me, and that's that's uh, something I held on to uh, without wa- watching uh, for uh, until I haven't watched them. Okay, I've never watched them. Uh, I I did like start them and watch about, you know, like 30 seconds or a couple of minutes. And I, it just was too traumatic for me. So I could never make it through them. So, um, so anyway, we're writing this book, Gary. So, tells so what, me, did, but, but what did you learn about it? I mean, you know, you must've, you, you learned something from, from that experience about what had happened to you when you were being debriefed. Well, that's, uh, uh, the debriefing part, I like other people that I had look at it. They, there was uh, apparently at OSI that they did uh, induce uh, drugs to uh, uh, true serum type drugs, uh, and uh, apparently I agreed to it uh, to I, to cover up the part about the binary. Okay, mm-hmm. it, it would there was a block for that, and. That is what the psychologist, the the, the psychiatrist, uh, discovered this block, and she had to work through this block, and she did break the block, uh, and it was very creepy because uh, uh, there was like a, a nursery rhyme that was put in as a safeguard, and it was unusual according to her, and um, anyway, she broke this block, and uh, I would. I, I, then I started talking about it in the second hypnosis uh, mm-hmm. about what happened down OSI. And the whole purpose down there was they tried to make me forget it in block is the fact that they were talking about this binary. And everything else was intact, but it was that mm-hmm. part that they didn't want to know. The only problem is with uh, with those folks down there, the agents, is that uh, their Achilles heel uh, was they didn't know that the notebook existed with the binary that I wrote down in it, and um, that was that was it. They didn't know that was they know the notebook existed, but they thought it was just my notes from being out there. Um, but with the binary written in there was the full message, and um, uh, that was that was in in those uh, in in there. Then, of course, I did that night, 
mm-hmm. when I couldn't sleep. Um, you want to go farther into the binary part? Well, I, I think it's important that, um, yeah, I, I, how did it come out that you just thought they were ones and zeros? So how? Oh, did, yeah. How, yeah, that's really crazy stuff. Because all these years, it was just a bad experience for me in, in a notebook. I, I mean, I, I kept it to myself, put it in the back of the notebook. <coughs> excuse, excuse me. I did that, and uh, so anyway, we're going to do a film shoot. <clears throat> it was for Ancient Aliens. And it was down in Phoenix, and I was going to be there with Linda Moulton Howell and John Burroughs. Anyway, I take a notebook because I'm going to show the glyphs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and uh, so I'm down there, and, and we're in the middle of the shoot, and I'm sitting in a chair, and they're together, they're switching film. They had film at the time. And uh, they're going to switch, reload the film. And so Burroughs asked me about you know, a date or a phone number or something like that. And I said, I don't know. I must have it in here. I'm flipping through the notebook. And I go back too far in the notebook. And, of course, the binary flips open. And um, at that point in time, it was ones and zeros to me. And little yeah. old how, she goes, oh, she's, what's that? And I said, oh, that's, I figured, what the hell? I might as well tell them. Uh, you know, this is my mental breakdown time, you know, and least <laughs> some years later, what is it? I'm, I'm a big boy. I can take it, right? So I said, yeah. uh, this, is, this is the binary I wrote down that night. When I was home, and they go, or the ones and zeros, and she says, "Those aren't just ones and zeros. She says, That's binary code." And then when she said that, it made sense because I did a a book with her oh, back in ninety five, ninety six, and uh, she actually heard the you know the tape. She actually had it uh, um, copied. I guess she used part of it in this, this book that she wrote. And uh, I just thought it was uh, just like ludicrous stuff, you know, that she wrote. And I was actually upset about what she wrote in the book. And uh, but anyway, it mentions that I could see binary code. I didn't know what binary code was until I was in Phoenix, and it was like 2013 or something, you know. Yeah, um, yeah or 2000. I don't know what it was. 2010, I think it was. And um, so I made the connection. Oh, that's binary. So that makes sense now because it was in the in the uh, hypnosis, mm-hmm. and uh, then they wanted uh, Linda to say, "Well, we gotta get tested." They said, oh, it's gonna be gibberish. I know. It's just it was just a mental breakdown time, and she's well. <laughs> and she was pestering me about this. She was. She was terrible. She was re- relentless, and they both said, "We gotta you gotta have it. You know, someone look at it." This was okay. Let me go home and think about it. Yeah. So I fly back. I fly back to Chicago, and I'm thinking, oh, is there anything to it? In the meantime, Kim Sharon, the producer for Ancient Aliens, calls calls me and says, "Hey, we can get this tested for you, uh, you know, confidentially if you want." And uh, uh-huh. and so I said, it's "Okay." I said, "What?" She goes, "Give me four or five pages or some of it, and we'll take a look at it." So I scan them. I send them to Kim. In the meantime, I got Linda calling me like daily, like twice a day or three times a day. I don't know. It was a lot. And she says, I want to get this tested. I got a guy out in Australia that can do it. And then someone in North Carolina. I don't know. I said, okay. So she won. 
I said, okay. I, I sent her the same scans that I gave to ancient aliens. Um, and uh, so then the next day, I get a call from Kim Sharon. She's all excited. She says, uh, "We, you got to go. At that time, we didn't have, like, the Skype like it is today. We had to go on, and she was on the phone, and then she was showing me stuff as she sent it to me. Uh-huh. She says, those ones, in, she says, that binary code has a message. And I says, you're kidding me. There's no way. And that's impossible. She says, oh, no, 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 it does. <laughs> and so we went through it. And I was just completely blown away by it. And uh, it had uh, <clears throat> a, a definite message uh, on the pages I gave her. And I'm thinking, well, it's got to be a mistake. She says, no way. She says, this guy's an expert on it. Da, da, da. I said, okay, well, let me think about this, okay? And she says, well, I want you to know. I said, okay. She said, well, I think we want to do another show. I said, I don't know. Just give me some time on this. And anyway, Linda calls up the following day, and she's all excited. She says, there was a message in there. I said, okay, what did it say? I'm, I'm, more, I'm, I'm actually uh, more uh, level-headed that day about it, not in shock. And she goes through it. It's exactly what the Kim Sharon's uh, uh, person that deciphered it. The other two professors uh, deciphered exactly the same thing. And I went, damn! I went, how can that happen? I mean, I, I, I still, I still can't understand it today. I, I think it's just the most incredible thing uh, because, uh, well, one is I don't have that type of memory. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there's no way, and let alone anything that be coherent or makes sense. There's just no way I could do that. So if that's not enough, um, um. They want to do a show on that, and then, I mean, I'm going back and forth. They're actually, uh, I mean, Linda and John Burroughs were just all read this has to go out. I said, I don't know if it's supposed to go out or not. I, mean, I don't know. It seems like, why would I have this, and should I share it? I don't know. And uh, anyway, they convinced me. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I can only take so much badgering, so I put it out. And at the show, we tape it. And we're in England, we're doing a reunion over there, and uh, uh, Prometheus Entertainment, that's who does Ancient Aliens, Kim Sharon, uh-huh. they uh, they sponsor the, the event, you know, pay for our tickets, all that kind of stuff. And um, we do a, a, uh, a conference over there at Woodbridge. And uh, that's when uh, they actually show us the show that was airing that night. And uh, you know, I watched the segment. I went, oh, my God. I said, well, that's out now. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, it's out. Is, is it okay so, to share what what it 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 was uh, translated to? Sure. You, this, there's no spoilers to this book. We can say anything about this book and still you got to – I'll tell you what. Were you – were you with me when you were reading chapters three and four? Were you with me in that forest that night, you know, when you were reading it? I mean, that's where you should oh. have been. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Not only that, you know, I could, so to, like I spoke to you earlier, I can relate because I've seen an unidentified flying object, you know, don't know 
where it came from and don't think it was extraterrestrial, but I truly believe it was unidentified for sure. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it had the same characteristics as uh, the Rendlesham one. Uh, no, yeah, it, it, it didn't. But, well, but didn't, his, we didn't have sound, right? It didn't what? Did it have, did it have, did it have sound? Uh, no sound, no sound at okay. all. It it when it when it took off and it swooped over my dormitory, um, it paused for just a minute, and and I really got to look at it, and then suddenly with it was gone. There was no air displacement. There was no sound. There was no sonic boom. There was it was just gone. Right. So, you know right. that I have experienced, so, and I've experienced the prickling, the the um, uh, the, mm-hmm. the static feeling, the, the the prickling all over. So, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna share what I think is the, the binary code suggests. Um, I think we have to leave it for everybody else's. Um, well, that's what know, the whole book is. The book is to give them all the facts and let uh-huh. them come to their own conclusions. But yes, I have no problem. And uh, you want to put your thoughts on it or mine? I don't. I don't. I don't have no problem. Yeah. With that. Um, so, so his binary, your binary code translates to exploration of humanity, continuous for planetary advance, eyes of our eyes, origin year. 8,100, and then there are seven, um, there are seven uh, ge- uh, geographic locations, the, the longitude, latitude. One is Caracol, um, Belize. One is Sedona, Arizona, Great Pyramid of uh, Giza, Giza Plateau, I guess. Nazca, the Nazca Lines in Peru. Now I'll mispronounce this. Shandong, Taishan, China. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Portara Temple of Apollo in in Greece, and the last one is High Brazil, which is an island off the coast. Uh, it's it's underwater now. Um, yeah, yeah, but, but High Brazil, that island is now that's the only coordinates that's mentioned twice in the binary, in the message. Interesting. It's mentioned. Yeah, it was it was mentioned at the beginning and it's the one at the end. It's the only one that's so, mentioned twice. And this is from Celtic mythology. It's it's been called the Celtic Atlantis. Now Atlantis. Now, um, your your whole experience and, and the and the download of this material, you know, assuming it is from eight thousand, you know, six thousand years from now, um, or so. Uh, it's it's in one place. Um, I think in one of your hypnosis. Uh, things it's it's kind of like oh and the other thing I like that you came out with a a comment which I thought was just phenomenal first first of all well no the the, the one comment that you came out with in hypnosis was in in 2013 I, um, even in their future they are us right so the, these are supposedly people from the yeah. future coming back yeah the, hip, the hypnosis uh, supports. Uh, that uh, these coordinates, one of the things that we researched for the last eight years uh, with Gary Osborne, he did the main part of the research. He was uh, actually mm-hmm. the research team leader. And um, I'll tell you right now, Gary was a skeptic, uh, and that's the kind of people that should investigate. You know, it's people that uh, oh, only look at yeah. yeah, only look at the facts. They build off the facts, you know, the evidence, and 
wherever that leads you, it leads you. It might lead you to dead end or whatever. And so his breakthrough was a few years ago, prior to writing the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this breakthrough he had is that because originally I contacted him about this 23 and a half degrees. I thought it was about temperature and it had to do with the yeah. planet. But okay. And uh, anyway, without going through that long story with that, uh, Gary did the, the research along with our research team, which had professors from academia around the world. Uh, you know what? The strange thing about professors that work at universities, they don't want their names public because no. of a uh, grant. They yeah. don't. It's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, and, and some do, but a couple of them, like the one in Cambridge doesn't. I know that. And um, anyway, I better not say too much about that. I probably said no. too much in the book, didn't I? Um, yeah, they'll figure it out. Um, I yeah, I think I think you were reasonably respectful. I tried to be. <laughs> you know, <laughs> their, their privacy. I tried to do that. And when a person did. didn't want their main man in there, I, I put their alias in there, an alias. You know, if they didn't want their uh-huh. name in, I did that stuff too. Uh, yeah. And anyway, the binary. We kept getting discovery after discovery. Gary called me up, wow, wow, wow. You know, this is my reaction. And uh, they started out, but each step was a rung on the ladder. Without having this first step, the second step wouldn't happen. Or the second step, you didn't have that, well, it wouldn't have a third step. Give them the first step then, because be, just so that they understand what you're talking about. Because you got numbers, I think, Um well, on a, on a global scale, they uh, uh, I think the first thing that came out from them was the uh, uh, global on a on a global scale that these coordinate sites started uh, with uh, like the twenty three and a half degrees. Half mm-hmm. of that was another one, and, and they started building on that. They all were connected that way. And uh, the, even though it looks like a list for, you know, uh, a new age site or something like that. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really is um, how they were connected. And it kept building on the connections. And the thing is, this this binary uh, on a global scale is down to, in some cases, an inch or two. You know, it's that mm-hmm. precise. So, uh, and it... Uh, uh, one of the things that it does put out is it puts uh, the Azores in, uh, in 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 focus and um, in, in with this. But to make a long telling of this binary um, uh, a little shorter is uh, what it has done uh, on a on a global scale. It has uh, suggested that there. Uh, through these coordinates, that there must be, without a doubt, according to the math, there has to be a chamber inside the Giza pyramid that's undiscovered right now, but they think they've actually discovered something here uh, within the last six months, last seven. Yeah, they, they have. Uh, they have. Well, we had a research team. There's there a couple of research teams were there, but one of us had one of our guys on it, and I think it was the one from Stanford. I'm not sure. And... Um, Anyway, they discovered that there is probably something uh, in this chamber. We need to go back over there. We need to do some ground, ground penetrating radar and 
uh, and we, we were pretty sure that there's going to be an uh, undiscovered chamber there. You think that was a lot, and uh, would be probably the uh, discovery of the lifetime. And when I do believe that chamber will give us evidence that we're looking for. There's an indicator. It's not in that code for no reason. I mean, there's got to be a reason why it's pointing that out. Uh, that's our theory, anyway. <clears throat> but to top that all off, that's that's not even the the, the the major discovery. The major discovery was made in May of 2019, and <clears throat> what that is by the by the uh, uh, increments over uh, 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 digitally, you know, from uh, you know from one tenth on over, you know how how it goes on, yeah. on the code. Uh, Normally, uh, and he, Carl Sagan even said this in '77. Normally, uh, if we uh, we operate normally on a you know six digits over, okay, that's where we're usually at, human beings. Uh, and if you found one with seven digits over, that probably mean it came from a really high source, uh, intelligent source, uh, and. Uh, that's what he was looking for. If, it, if you were going to get a message from a higher intelligence, it would be like seven over. Well, the binary code with with Rendlesham in 1980 wasn't seven digits over. It was 13 or 14 digits over. So whoever devised this, that's proof positive, by the way. This came from a higher intelligence. There's just no doubt about that. Because it contains a fine structure constant, and this fine structure constant is stuff that's within is well known in the whole scientific uh, community, uh, and it's in a lot of things like uh, black holes and galaxies and all kinds of stuff. And uh, anyway, binary code contains that, uh, and it contains it to that degree. So whatever. You know, we can theorize a lot. I mean, to be 13 or 14 digits over, we can theorize that. What is that? Cat two civilization? I don't know. It's a pretty. They're they're pretty advanced. Um, well, I think what the the one phrase that, that that came out that that you know when I hit it, I went, oh my goodness! Now now I I can go along with this one, um, and I think you I. I'm not sure when. 2013, I think, is when I wrote it down that I found it, I think. Um, it, it may have been through one of your hypnosis sessions. Um, I don't think it came out of the binary code. But you said in, in, in this particular session, even in their future, they still await first contact. Yes. That and, was in 1994, the hypnosis. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah. And when I when I read that, I thought that makes more sense than anything else that I've seen or heard in decades. And yeah. that yeah. that that to me makes makes such sense that it's you know it, it's kind of it resonated so so to me that it was like I'll buy that I'll buy that six thousand years from now we're still waiting for first contact that makes sense. No. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually sort of scary, isn't it? In a way, I mean. Uh, well, it puts uh, yeah, things into a. We're not a alone. We're not alone, though. You know, we're not really alone. I mean. Oh no. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> no, I agree with you on that. But but I also, 
feel strongly that that when we're ready to meet other consciousnesses out there, we've got to get to a point where we're ready, and and we're not. We're very primitive. So, to my well, mind, you know, it it just uh, that that resonated to me. So, so is. Is all of the investigation of the binary stuff done, or, or, or is it an ongoing process? It's an ongoing process, and uh, what we're going to have to do is uh, we're, I'm planning on taking some of the proceeds from this book to fund, uh, you know, a uh, actual site visit and stuff like that. we got to do that stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's this is going to take a little while, but this I think we're only at the on the ladder of maybe rung of a fifty rung ladder. We're probably on rung number twelve. Okay, we there's a lot more we think that uh, uh, to this. We just keep getting discoveries all the time. Uh, well, you know, I think I, things things always in my mind happen when they're supposed to, and for a great length of time, the um, military put out. A lot of information that that you know was meant to make people think that it, it, it there was a hoax or it was you know little green men running around sure. or mm-hmm. you know they they did everything they could to mask the seriousness of this and and of course they didn't know about the binary code and you do wonder if they had known about it could they have taken it from you and hidden it and it never would have been been out. It would never have been out. I'm sure. Well, it wouldn't have been out. It wouldn't have been out this uh, put out by us. I mean, we put it out. Um, one of the things you mentioned, uh, yeah, the, how advanced they are and about the consciousness. Uh, I think I that is the communication process that I had. I don't think information ran up my arm uh, no. from content. Okay. It had to do with the technology I cannot explain that seems like light. and But it, I think consciousness is tied to it. I think it was a basic form of it, that, that communication for me. And uh, maybe that's what we evolved with. Maybe, uh, you know, we have all kinds of theories on it. I mean, uh, and this is not to uh, uh, discredit people that have experiences. Uh, I value each person's UFO experience or uh Either you know they're they're it's explainable and they just don't know it, or else it's unknown. I mean, it's going to be there's not a lot of answers there. Uh, but uh, it it I don't believe in the alien hypothesis at all now. Not after the what we found in the code and stuff like that. Besides, even the even the the craft of unknown origin, it it was triangular. It had a dorsal fin like our aircraft has. Uh, it uh, it, why market? Why market with symbols? Why do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what we do. Well, well it maybe been like we a tag, it. like made in Japan. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I been... know. <laughs> I mean, there's just things that the that, that only humans do right now that we know of, and mm-hmm. uh, it just uh, it, it all makes sense. Every type of uh, uh, discovery that is made with this. It just reinforces that it's not the alien hypothesis. No, it's not no, that. I, I, there, there's other there's other 
great. Uh, I say you know uh, Jack. I want to mess up his last name. Jack Safardi. Uh, name's um, familiar, he's a, but no, yeah, he's, not a, really. he's a he's a theor- well, he's a theoretical uh, scientist. And mm-hmm. I mean, uh, matter of fact, he used to work with uh, guys out of Stanford with SR, SRI. And back in 69, 68, 70, you know, remote viewing, all that kind of stuff. And they worked under contract with the CIA. And that, and some of the other people was like Kit Green, and, and those are the type of people he worked with, and Putoff and those guys. But anyway, um, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Safari, he uh, believes that this is correct. The, the alien hypothesis is not in fact, a factor with these sightings. It's us from the future. He has come out publicly and said that too, along with a whole lot of other scientists. So well, that's, that's uh, basically where I am at this moment in time too. Oh, are you? Um, oh, gosh, yeah. Okay, in the book, if I may ask you this, uh, we didn't try to convince you. We just wanted them to inform you with the information we knew. And so we didn't try to sway you. We want you to come up with your own conclusions at the end. Hopefully we we achieved that. Well, Uh, I've been in this field for 50 years. And mm -hmm. um, it's the first time that I felt comfortable with seeing something in writing that I could totally endorse. Oh, thank you very much. but maybe because it's the truth. <laughs> could be, could be. I, I, you know, you're you're gonna run into a lot of people thinking, you know, or, or people like to sensationalize. People like to throw mm-hmm. fear at people, and and um, as you know, the more the more I read and the more I realized what you know what I thought was going on, and then you confirmed it, was that I've I've always believed that. Um, People who actually saw these unidentified flying objects and and had a closer contact with them, there was a consciousness connection to them. And right. your 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 airman Fred Burroughs, um, when when you, you you know he had no real real recollection of a lot of the stuff that went on. He, he don't you don't remember anything. Um, well, that's because I don't think he was he was at a level of con- it doesn't mean he's stupid, uh, you know. And level of consciousness well, no, has nothing saying, to do no, with I'm intellect. But but uh, but there is a level of consciousness that will be able to embrace a thought, or if they can't embrace it, then they just don't see it or hear it. Uh, and I think I think that's where he was. Um, when, when I had when I when I saw the, the UFO when I was in college in the 60s, um, I was standing in a large group of girls because we were in the dorm, and there were a lot of there were a lot of the girls that that you know ran and hidden closets and were screaming hysterically. There were some that were looking at the same place I was and didn't see what I saw, and you know it, it was sort of like. Okay, I was ready. I thought this is great. This, there's something out there. There's something more. You know, we got to stretch and find out what it is. And others didn't see anything. And they were standing right next to me. And this thing blinked out the sky. You know, but I think that's common with mass sightings. Uh, and that's what we're talking about, more than one person. I mean, Bentwaters, yeah. Woodreach, uh, that that was by, you know, 80, 90 people. I mean, not, I don't know how many civilians. Uh, 
uh, yeah, that's that's something. It's a common factor with mass sightings, and uh, yeah, a person right next to you. I I had a, a an account. I can't use their names because I I, I don't want to. They could, it's up okay. to them to tell their story. Uh, but it was about in northern Wisconsin, and uh, this is the one that we had the uh, orb that was confirmed uh, unknown because I ran it through the labs and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Anyway, the same guy, I'm going to try not to use his name, <laughs> uh, this guy, uh, he told me of a, a situation while he was on a dock up there, and he was with another person, and uh, a, a sighting of one of these orbs. Uh, this happened to be an orb. And uh, the other person had a totally different accounting of what happened. It was more mm-hmm. benign. I mean, and it, he says it happens a, a lot, and I, I, I believe him. Uh, he's a very credible person. Uh, there's also another uh, – let's talk about a couple of scientific things uh, that are going on sure. here. One of the things that's not mentioned, I don't even think I mentioned in the book, uh, is uh, – uh, there's some type of, uh, you know, because everything, uh, just because there's certain things I just don't believe. I mean, uh, uh, but there's some things that have tie-ins to stuff that, uh, like, for example, um, this this person I know that's up in Canada is doing research on um, um, Triangle Craft, Okay. And anytime there's over an area, he goes out there, he checks the ground, and uh, and they leave this vortex that's underneath these craft and the power unit or whatever it is, technology, leaves a leaves a leaves a, uh, a type of signature in the ground. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, and uh, the signature under these triangular craft is also the same type of vortex that's in certain authenticated crop circles. Right. So um, there's a connection. There's a team right now in Belgium uh, working this, and we're going to get together next year, hopefully, and go over to uh, Wilshire, uh, England, and uh, I, and maybe yeah. do a little research on this. Um, I've had. And I'm not I, talking I've about. Had... Yeah, I'm not talking about the guys with a board and rope with the ones that no, are no, faking. No, no. <laughs> Um, I, I had the the um, honor of uh, being able to go into a crop circle, and um, a lot of your sensations that you're talking about are the mm-hmm. same that you get in a crop circle. And I did a, a documentary with my late husband on the uh, stone chambers that are all over the northeast here. And when you go into those chambers, you get the same feeling. You get the prickling. You sound is gone. Yeah. You know, cars can be going by outside, and there mm-hmm. is no sound. So that so that there is an energetic that is connected to some of these occurrences that come from the same place. I guess yes. that's the best way to put it. Really cool stuff. Is there- yeah, and you know what? And then this also wraps its arms around the uh, us for the future stuff. It just ties mm-hmm. us so so good. And he, you know, we even theorized other things, and we came up with some really good theories on stuff like people to see, uh, you know, these grays or these uh, entities like that or something like. What, what happens if uh, 
uh, in the future, you, uh, the corporeal time travel is impossible, the interdimensional travel. Maybe it's impossible as far as the human being uh, structurally can, you know, can survive it. Maybe you can't. So what they do is they send back drones they, uh, uh, or maybe uh, robots that are, you know, a human entity derivative of some kind, you know what I mean? Uh, something that could be uh, able to uh, deal with the uh, uh, the structure of interdimensional travel. You know, who knows? There's all kinds well, of they, theories that you can pull out. There's a lot of research on, on telepathy with the thought that, you know, if you can get to a certain point in time, you can either astral travel or you can send a message over over, over space. I don't know that they've, they've really, they, they probably are working on time as well, but that it, it makes great sense to me with um, things like remote viewing, where it's your astral body, it's your, your non-corporeal body that is doing the traveling and seeing things and expressing things. So at this point in time where we can do the astral travel, it's, it's not a huge leap that in the next 6,000 years, Maybe we don't need a physical body as much as we do now. I I agree Maybe. with you. I think it's a good theory. It is. So it is. Y- yeah, no, I I think it it well, opens the door to a lot. Well, that's one of the reasons. I tell you what, I know I'm I know I'm going to be presenting out there at the, uh, the uh, Laughlin event in, uh, November first, but. Visions of the future, but here's the thing: it, it's talking about UFOs, remote viewing, and ESP, right? And I tell you what, okay. there's people there I want to meet. I mean, of course, I want to meet uh, uh, one of the guys I did my first book with. Uh, Nick Pope's going to be there, and I, you know, Grant Cameron. But one of the mm-hmm. people that I risk dying to listen to because I loved his his, uh, his uh, documentary, but I was uh, Russell Targ. Uh, yeah. I'm looking for. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, there's certain people out there I just want to meet, and I want to talk about certain things with them. <laughs> it's well, about the event, you know, and to see the, even if there's a, any type of relationship with some of this stuff. Uh, well, this is – I noticed that – I, I just let me put out another I, – I want to make sure that Paula gets her, 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 her uh, promos in here. Uh, it's an amazing conference. It's called Star Wa- StarWorks USA Conference at in Laughlin, Nevada, November 1st through the 3rd. She throws an amazing conference, and the number of guests she has, um, you know, uh, several of them, well, at least Michael Carter, I think, is going to be there, and he's been on the show a number of times. I know. I can't uh, wait to meet him. I'm serious. I want oh, to talk to that guy. Oh. He will be. Rem- <laughs> He will he will remember me. Um, the very first time I had him on my show, I had read his his first book, and in it I was kind of tickled that you know he he thanked some of the predecessors that had you know kind of uh, broken through and 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 paved the way, and one of them was Patrick Cook, and mm-hmm. that was that's my late husband, and so yeah. um, Michael Michael asked me if I knew anything about UFOs in the Bible, and I said a little bit, and he. He said, well, maybe I should give you an education. I said, I think I'm okay. And he said, no, it's complicated. And I said, you know, you, you thank Patrick Cook. And he said, oh, yeah, m- amazing. And I said, well, he's my late husband. And Michael then backed off and said, maybe you could tell me a little bit. <laughs> he said, I doubt it. But really? he's been on the show a number of times. Yeah, no, he's um, Yeah, I he's can't a wait to talk friend. to him. 
I, I tell you, ideally, I'd like to have a lunch with him or something like that. There's just so many things I want to talk about uh, uh, that uh, because I, I followed his work a little bit, you know, reading to mm-hmm. uh, there's there, no the list is uh, is uh, it's a crazy list of uh, just great people. I mean, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I know. I and, I can't wait. Are you to, going? To hear, are you going by chance no, or not? Oh. Not this year. Not this year. I, you know, I'm in the middle of trying to move. So, um, but, but because I've done I've done a lot of work with remote viewing. So, um, it's it's really kind of interesting. You know, the way she's you know got her topics going here. I, I'm drooling. I would love to go. She invited me last year, the year before, and I just couldn't make it. So, um, my day will come. Uh, but, uh, no, she's, she has amazing people that she brings in and, um, the conference is phenomenal. So anybody interested, um, do check out the Starworks USA conference because, um, it's going to be phenomenal. And, and, you know, if if you want to see, if you want to take a look at this guy, he'll be there and you can probably pepper him with questions till the cows come home. I know that's what, you know what? That's why I go to those. You know, that's why I do a conference. I'll tell you what's my favorite part uh, is the uh, Q&A because I do run into people that there's certain things about Reynolds Room, even though even I got this book out, there's certain things I never put out public. And mm-hmm. when, I, when I hear during the question and answer, it, a person talking about their experience and I hear, I hear something that's related, uh, I, I always tell them, oh, we need to talk after the Q&A, you know. <laughs> and that's what I go there for. No, that's what I go there for, and uh, that's what's really rewarding for me is uh, is to find out. There's other there's other people that have had this contact. I mean, obviously, I'm not the only one. I mean, uh, and I think it's, you're the it's only important. one that got binary code for sure. Uh, yeah, I, uh, so far I don't, I don't know. You know, I have a lot of people try to hoax it, and what they don't understand. In the binary, there's a signature in the binary. But the way I don't, I'm not a binary person, but somehow there's a signature, and they can tell if it's from the same source. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I had like eight people send me stuff, you know, and I sent it off to the people to look at, and they go, no, 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 no. So at least uh, whatever they're sending me is not from the source that I had. So uh, I know that much. Well, I think that's, I that's great because I know that that. When you have something that, that's pure like this, lots of people want to hop on and make it, you know, their thing. And and it's not so much their thing as though, you know, they they want to they want to put their message out. And um, if you can, you know, catch them that way, then then you can keep the purity there. I mean, I think just that this information is out there for now is probably the mm-hmm. most important thing. And you know, so many people want to take control and be um, the only source and be, you know, the one that, that channels inspiration from the gods. And, you know, I know, it's just like really... with consciousness even. I, I think that's something that, that's either left in us or <clears throat> given to us in our DNA or whatever. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you can just sit there and learn it. <laughs> No, I, 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 I agree with you. <laughs> or else go out there and pay, you know, you have to pay $2,000 to have a 
to have a, a multiple event uh, with consciousness. I don't think you have to do that. I, I think don't think you can do that. It's either something no. that's very natural. Um, you can probably fake it, and there are probably some good fakers out there, but I think that, that personally I believe, and it's my belief, it's not written in a book anyplace, but but there there is just a certain portal that some people can get to and some people can't. And um, it can't be taught, it can't be learned, it either is or it is not. It doesn't mean you're not smart or intelligent or wise or wonderful or any of the above, but it, it means that... that you know, you can bring material through and put it out there and let let uh, let the experts take it and go with it. But what I, what I love is you prevented the government from getting this binary code. You put it out in the general public where it belongs. Uh, it, I tell you what, uh, I was told a long time ago, uh, go public with everything you know. It's the safest place to be. And yeah. uh that's that's exactly the way we we thought about it. Uh, uh, Safety's in in making it public. Yes. Uh, so yeah, and it's about time that there was full disclosure. I hate using that word uh, with Rendlesham, but it's, we we wanted to correct it. There's just so many opportunists out there, and and on you know, these lecture speakers, uh, on the circuit well, speakers, you know. Oh, it's all hearsay what they're saying. Oh my God! If if you had done this 20 years ago, it wouldn't uh, have been taken as seriously as it will be taken today. And, and you know, there's a very small part of the public, but it's getting bigger every day, that is that is comfortable with saying, okay, all of that is not other entities or other planetary systems or. Or um, you know the, the the Orion's Belt people or or the Syrian people, mm-hmm. it, it, it's 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 not them, it's us, and it's us giving us information. You know when when we send out um, when we send out rockets into the in, in, into the into space and stuff like that, we put stuff in binary code. So yes. it. it it makes sense that binary code comes back to us. It makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, you know, and all this stuff is, is definitely all human. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's um, the thing is, we 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 sat there, you know, uh, Gary and I over, uh, you know, a couple of beers or something like that. We sat there and we talked about the what ifs and. You know, some of the things we question is, okay, they're not doing this for us, though, are they? No, they're doing it for themselves. Why? You know, it's it's yeah. got to be. We're humans. We're always going to be with this human behavior. We're always going to be doing stuff for ourselves, somewhere down the line. That's what we're saying. So, uh, but maybe maybe uh, there, there's some there's some gray areas and some doom areas, uh, you know, that we talk about too, and uh, some of the things. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they just want to create another timeline. I don't know. Uh, who, well, when who you knows? Cons- when you when you consider that the Earth itself has been through at least five, what they call mass extinctions, but we're not total mass ex- extinctions, which means that <clears throat> humanity has come back, has has grown and then get, gotten shoved back to square one, and then grown and gotten back put back to square one. And I think we always seem to come out better. So you, it would only 
it would only stand to reason that, that you know, 6,000 years in the future, that the planet has probably cleaned itself and started again a couple times, too. It, it doesn't make sense to me that it wouldn't. I mean, some uh, of the mass extinctions have been meteors and stuff like that, but um, it, it makes great sense that, that there's there's always the DNA that keeps coming back because our DNA goes back mm-hmm. millions of years. So so it's going to be interesting. Well, I agree. You know? I, agree I agree. I fully agree with you. You know, and it, it, it you know maybe there is some mass uh, extinction events going to happen. Who knows? But you know, I think we got more realistic things <coughs> to worry about. Maybe nuclear oh, war. Okay. That that's not off the table. I'll tell you that. As a matter of fact, it's more real than ever. Uh, uh-huh. But something like that would pretty much devastate the planet. I mean, a full nuclear exchange or something. And uh, well, who knows? Maybe maybe that's in the future. Maybe that's why they're why high Brazil is such a. Uh, well, I, I think I find it very comforting that six thousand years from now, someone or a consciousness. Uh, traveled back this far to to give us information of some sort. So we think um, they went back we, farther. We we think they went back farther than us. We think they uh, the, the we think that that the hidden chamber in in the uh, in in Giza. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we think that there's maybe there's something for information there that we have to know. We need to know. I don't know. Uh, there seems to be a purpose uh, that's much bigger than it's just like okay, Rendlesham is not about no person. It's not a, this is my belief. It's not about yeah. me. It's not about anybody. But it's about this binary. If anything else, I, we think that's the whole purpose of of Rendlesham, and uh, uh, we think that's the way it's playing out too. And it all seems to, to be by design. It doesn't seem to be happenstance. I mean. It seems to be oh. all by design. So uh, that's some well, of the things that it, we're looking at. I find it fascinating that it was by a government base. A military person got the code and didn't think it important enough to share and saved it so that it could be made public in the future. I mean, come on. You, you, you know, I mean, you kept this thing for 20 years. Before anything really started to happen, that's impressive. Yeah, well, I no, I just thought it was an embarrassment. Uh, it was a bad time in my life. That's <laughs> what I thought. Uh, I don't, you know, it's like, yeah, that's the time I had a mental breakdown. I'm going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> it just well, sounds. Well, you know, I mean, well, you, yeah. Uh, if you really and, have you a know, mental breakdown, you don't know it. So, um, I, I, you know. I, I guess so. I guess you're right, uh, but you know, at the time, it all seemed very real to me. Like, oh my God, you know. And then, and then I thought my my career was ending too. That that was. Uh, but I'll tell you what, the Air Force treated me right. I mean, uh, they gave me my lifeline, which I talk about in uh, uh-huh. in the book, and uh, so I wasn't alone. Oh, yeah. uh, even no, though I is... couldn't talk about it, I wasn't alone. So. No, and and you know, I think it's fascinating the the. I mean, your book goes into the whole evolution of, of, you know, coming out of the closet, so to speak, and, and sharing your information and, and, and the hits and misses along the way. I, the book is so meticulously 
um, footnoted, it's unbelievable, and and it's it's fascinating. Um, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, it, it's it took me a week to read it, and I only read your part. I haven't gone back and read all the, all the footnote stuff, which is which appears to be fascinating as well. Um, but but I think that that between you and and your co-author, you have put together a document, a big document, um, that that absolutely attests to the truthfulness of what it is you're putting out there. Well, we wanted it to be a historical document. We wanted it to be a history book. We wanted it to be a, a use as reference and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And the best, the best part we have, so we, uh, Gary was adamant about the uh, uh, end notes. I mean, okay, we got to, you know, some of them are five levels, seven levels deep. I mean, um, but the, they're oh, required. Yeah. I mean, so we, people deserve to know what happened. And, uh, and believe me, there's been so much disinformation about the whole account. I mean, people that weren't involved, that wish they were involved, people that uh-huh. hoaxed 30 years of involvement and got caught out. Uh, I mean, all kinds of things. But just keep in mind that uh, uh, everything about uh, eyewitnesses, I mean, they can vary a little bit. I mean, because you know how uh-huh. it is with eyewitnesses, you know, wearing a red shirt, wearing a blue shirt, wearing a green shirt, wasn't wearing a shirt, you know, um, yeah. all that. Yeah, it's all different like that. But one of the things I, I always felt guilty about, and I, 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 what I did to, to make it uh, uh, to live with this a little bit better when I was uh, doing conferences or writing, you know, this is the second book, but the first book wasn't very good, but uh, it was it missed a lot. Uh, but writing start. books and doing and you know, getting honorariums and uh, all that stuff, I've given all mine so far to date to uh, charity, and uh, I feel better by that. I don't. I'm not saying I'm a saint or anything like that, but I feel better not making anything off of the story uh, mm-hmm. or the accounting. And I think that's the way it was supposed to be. And uh, I think it's the right way to do it. Uh, this book here, we're going to use the proceeds. Uh, I am my portion to finance one of the uh, uh, visits to one to uh, uh, Egypt would be the first uh, coordinate site. Uh, I've already been to Sedona twice, and that is incredible. I'll tell you, there is, uh, with the exception maybe of Sedona and. Uh, uh, it might be possibly there. I know some researchers said there is a type of pyramid there, but I don't. I have never seen it. But all the rest of the places uh, uh, have some type of tie into pyramids. I mean, this is not by chance. Uh, even the one in China, it sits on a, you know, uh, next to yeah. a pyramid. Um, uh, the same with Central America. Uh, the one in uh, uh, Nazca, no, but. Uh, what's interesting, if you look at the lines, it draws a pyramid. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, is... Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And and pyramids are, you know, uh, at least in Giza, they weren't meant to be uh, tombs. They were meant to be something else, and we're still trying to figure it out, I'm afraid. Or glad. Maybe the, glad. Maybe the whole purpose is to... Uh, to have some way that a physical uh, uh, message can be left from, you know, 5,000 years ago. Besides, we think the pyramids are a lot older. Our researchers that are doing stuff 
think that they're a lot older too. So, and oh, I would uh, agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know the, you know to have a a technology that uh, could build something like that uh, is would be hard pressed even today. So. Well, it, impossible, I think, so far. I didn't but, want to but, say but, possible, but. Yeah. <laughs> I well, think... I. I per- I, I personally think that the, the, the pyramids, at least in Egypt, were uh, prior, were 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 constructed before a mass a mass extinction, and that you know they just happened to be here when we decided to evolve again, and um, you know people are taking credit for it. But but that's just you're my gonna, personal opinion. You're gonna love book two. <laughs> I'm sure I am. We are getting real close, so I, I want to give out your website, which is, let me find uh, it the here. Rend- the, it's www.therendlshamforestincident.com. Right. And for, for Paula, um, Starworks USA Conference at Laughlin, Nevada, November 1st through 3rd. Um, and I would imagine that, that that if you can't make it to the to the conference, that there will be uh, CDs that that will be available that you might be able to pick up um, mm-hmm. from the website mm-hmm. afterwards. Don't know for sure, but but um, I, I would imagine but, that's true. Yeah. But I want to thank you so much. I just I so okay. appreciate the you taking the time. One final plug. One final plug. Reynolds and Enigma book. It's available on Amazon.com. It's also on Kindle. Uh, uh, please uh, pick up a copy or a Kindle version of it. And uh, I really want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to be able to talk about this, uh, you know, in this forum. I appreciate it. Oh, it's it's totally my pleasure. I I, I think, you know, I'm going to have to have you back. And uh, certainly when we get into the second book, we'll have to definitely do one on that. But um, other than that, I do thank you so much. I know that, that, this is going to be enjoyed by so many people, and you know, the more you get out there, the more you spread the information, the more maybe people will stop looking for little green men under their beds and start thinking about the future, <laughs> which I think is more important. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I agree. Good night. Thank you. Good night now. And everybody, thank you for being here. I so appreciate you sharing your time with us. Um, this has been, for me, an amazing show. Mm-hmm. And I certainly am, am so honored that, that Jim shared his time and his energy and his philosophy and his information with us. Good show tomorrow night and then next week, of course, again, Monday and Tuesday. So please stay tuned. Visit the YouTube channel when you get a chance. If you like what you hear, subscribe. That said, good night, everybody. <laughs>